Hello, welcome to True Crit. This is a a landmark occasion because we are at the end of season one. Oh, I can't believe it. If you made it this far, you are at the summit of the mountain with us overlooking the beautiful vista of this crazy obsessive (laughs) thing that we've made yeah and so we're up to date today we're going to talk about the most recent donald fagan record sunken condos we have no way of knowing if it's going to be his last record and if he makes another one we will tag it on to this season yeah i'm kind of hoping he does I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. Surprisingly, I've loved talking about Donald's solo efforts as much as I've enjoyed talking about Steely Dan's album. Given the last episode where Walter just knocked it out of the park. Yes, with a surprising dub reggae (laughs) offering. It's like, I kind of feel like the gauntlet was on the table for this one. Yeah, I do as well. And also with his previous solo albums, you know, particularly Morph the Cat, which I found to be such a, a high point for him. Yeah. Thematically and conceptually. But Sunken Condos, I just want to get it out there, first of all. I fucking love this album. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard it before. John and I had a like a listening session together last week where we listened to it together for the first time properly. And it was an instant like for me. It wasn't one of those situations where I found myself warming to it. It was straight away. But this isn't a criticism because I think because Morph the Cat was so well conceived, there's something not quite as cohesive as this album. I don't know what you think, John. It doesn't have a concept. No. Because if you think pretty much from Nightfly onwards... They suddenly become these conceptual album makers that we had never experienced before on the original run of Steely Dan records. It's weird, though. It's kind of not unexpected. I feel that this is the most Steely Dan-like record (laughs) that he has made since Gaucho. So I'm going to get my roasting hot take out early doors on this one because I think this is a boy band album for the boomer generation. (laughs) (laughs) That is fucking wild. It is wild, isn't it? And it's more of a, I go a lot by feel when I think about music and how I enjoy music. It's how I feel about things. The first song in particular puts me in mind of R&B, like 90s R&B almost. Yeah. Um, Like, you know, boy band R&B. And it's threaded throughout as well. The kind of close harmonies and the layering of the voices and the general sort of, I'm going to try not to say the word vibe. (laughs) (laughs) It's my most used word, I think. I think that's very pertinent that you kind of picked that up because before we were listening to record, I was actually listening to A Tribe Called Quest. And then when we started listening to the record, I was like, this sounds like a hell of a lot like Tribe Called Quest. And then... I was digging in to the co-producer on this one. He was um, Michael Leonhart, who did, he did work on 
two against nature onwards. So he's kind of working with Don and Walt, but he has actually worked with a bunch of hip hop people as well, including Tribe Called Quest. Ta-da! It feels like Michael Leonhardt's influence and experience of working with hip hop is kind of pushed really forward in this record. And it does make me wonder, was Don listening to some of that stuff? I can't really imagine him listening to hip hop, but there's certainly a very kind of D'Angelo, Erica Badu, Questlove kind of vibe Mm. on some of these tracks. Yeah, nine years since everything was going. So yeah. Stevie Dan is like well and truly over. Well, in the studio. Yeah. And we know that. We know that for sure. So no yeah. more Stevie Dan. Don had just finished two years of touring with the Dukes of September, which was his super group with Michael McDonald and Boss Skaggs. <laughs> which is just like, <laughs> that is just one of the greatest super groups of all time. I know. I know. It's like all of our dads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, My Three Dads. Yeah, My Three Dads. That's a sitcom. Add it to the mood board. Well, it's a sequel to the sitcom My Two Dads. My Two Dads, yeah. My Three two, Dads. Two adults parented by Boz Skaggs, Michael McDonald, and Donald Fagan. Yeah, me and you, yeah. That'd be awesome. It's all on YouTube. You should definitely watch the live show that's on YouTube of Dukes of September because it is amazing. Like, it's amazing. So he's come off this tour. I feel like that tour hangs over this album in a really positive way because it's much more fluid and relaxed and it's it feels like he's so much more laid back on this album than he is on any others and I feel that must have come from the Dukes of September experience because he'd literally I think he finished touring the same year he released Sunken Condos and you can't go touring with I can't imagine you could go touring with people and not be influenced by them, performing with them live on stage every night or whatever. I think probably an interesting point to make around that is that I don't know who was in the band for Dukes of September, and I feel like I should. But if you think they're playing a mixture of those three musicians' back catalogues, and it is a mixture of composition and feel. Yeah. And I think that this record strikes the greatest balance of composition and feel across all the albums that we've talked about. Mm, And it's almost like we've heard the dense, complex compositions. We've gone through that period. We've gone through that really granular detail in the playing. And things have got looser and looser. And we've talked a lot about the feel of the two reunion Steely Dan records. But there are clearly composed parts in this record. And so I wonder, going out, playing these mixture of songs, working with just the best musicians, Mm. and finally seeing how to balance all of that out. I'm excited to talk to you about this anyway, but I have some like half formed takes that I wanted to bounce around with you. Sure. Because I feel like there's a lot more to this album than I've sort of rationalised in my head. Right. Never been so excited. Let's get in. Let's just okay. get into it. So let's, let's go. Track one, Slinky Thing. Oh, I love this song. It's amazing. 
it's so good. So catchy. It's so contemporary. Mm. And I know it sounds really stupid saying it's really contemporary because it's literally is his most contemporary album because it was made, what, nine years ago? No. Yeah. Nine years ago. I lost track of time. But the production of it, even though it's got that kind of sleazy double bass, which I don't recall us ever hearing before, not, not so prominently... It's got this, yeah, this 90s R&B vibe and it's going into one of the themes. Ostensibly, it's about a guy dating a much younger woman. It's about a gentleman loser. Ah, but. <laughs> Is, here, here we go, it's me and my allegory. <laughs> My allegory story is, so this is the thing that I'm kind of playing around with because this theme of younger women permeates this whole album. Yep. And is he grappling with modern music or jazz or something? And is this younger woman sort of the concept of popular music that he is, he doesn't necessarily feel comfortable with, he's not sure about? That's something I've been exploring because this pops up a bunch of times and I don't know if it's actually on the surface what it really seems to be. Oh, my God. (laughs) 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 Um, Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Possibly. Because one of my notes about Slinky Thing is that the slinky thing in question kind of seems to be this tired old trope of a woman being a muse. But also at the same time, he's everyone's kind of looking at him and saying, like, dude, you're punching above your weight. Which is the most is is one of the most like damning things that people get accused of is from a very like masculine oh you don't deserve that woman but Mm -hmm. it happens men and women say it about men they never say it to women but you're making me think like is it that he feels like he's listening to newer music and wanting to understand it or maybe it's like about his like audience or the change in the relationship with his audience i don't know but like regardless he's defiant because he's like and i feel like he might be grappling with his relationship with music. But then in kind of focusing on that idea makes the whole like more light section in this song. That section makes more sense that the music like him continually listening to music and going after the new music is like the light of Mm. well is enlightenment yeah and about him like saying about strolling by the the reptile cage 
And so is he like referring to, you know, the dinosaurs of old? And this isn't the first time that we've talked about him referring to like his peers as past it. Well, this came up in Two Against Nature, the actual song. Yeah. I don't think it's lost on him, but then, you know, you and I understand this. So you and I both have this kind of voracious appetite for new music. Like nothing ever satisfies me. Like, I never get to a point where I'm like, well, that's me now. I've listened to enough new music. I'm just constantly, I constantly want to hear new stuff. I do wonder whether he's grappling with something in this album, because there's a couple of points where this this theme mm. of a younger woman pops up a bunch of times. So I, I don't know. This is this is why I've been so buzzing to talk to you about it, because I'm like, oh, my God. But then, but then we know what they're like. We know what Steely Dan are like. It could just be, that's literally what it's about. It's a song about an older dude dating a younger girl. But you can say that about every song he's ever written. (laughs) There's a complete duality in his songwriting that if you do look at it, you can see it from different angles. Mm. There is no song by Donald Fagan that is straightforward. I think you're onto something. I do want to talk about this song again later on in the context of some other ones. There's a real marked difference to this recording and this album. I just want to also say, if you haven't listened to this album before, and you're a podcast listener as well, I really do urge you to go out and give it a really good listen because it's such a brilliant album and it's something I loved immediately. I think it's just a shame that it's not mega mega famous and mega successful. That's just a sign of just where we are, aren't we? These crazy kids, they don't <laughs> know, they're born. I would John. actually say, further to what you just <laughs> said, I would say if you've listened to all the episodes and you've got this far and you haven't heard this record, I would say right this second stop listening listen to the record and come back yeah. to the conversation yeah then come back and have, yeah. a, have a chat with us about it so because good. it's so good <laughs> i don't know i'm so surprised but it's just fucking great it's a great album it's peak of powers it really is a peak of powers mm-hmm. record and there is some stuff that loops around on this and you've suddenly made me rethink a song that's coming up later all right one of my takes is a bit of a stretch, so... Well, let's get there. I think I've got... You know, this song just sounds great. Lyrics are great. And I think you are truly onto something here. It's not just about him trying to hold on to this. No, I don't think it is. In the context of the other songs, I don't think it is. So, I'm not the same without you. I fucking love this song. <laughs> <laughs> this is so poppy. so poppy. The chorus in particular, it's just really uh, it's just really unusual to hear him sing this kind of like unashamedly hooky, poppy kind of song. It's got like the most amazing like disco beat to it. Yeah, yeah. It actually really kind of lights me up yeah. to hear this song. Yeah. And again, you look at the lyrics and he's like out of a relationship and he's thriving. Yeah. But is he? Well, that's the thing. Because I'm like, is he thriving? Because I've had two ideas. So my first thought was, is this a song about Walter? No, no, no way. Nah. No. So that was one take I had. And then I thought, hmm, 
maybe a bit too mm, on the nose. And then I thought, is it about he's, uh, he's quit some drug or alcohol or something? It's a post-rehab song. Yeah. How could that not be about escaping addiction? Well, yeah, that was the second thought that I had. Because when you read the lyrics, it's like, oh, my God, he's really slating water again. He's slagging off Steely Dan. And I was like, no, actually. See, I never, that actually never crossed my mind. And I just thought, this is a great song about, you know, you're in a relationship and it's kind of really dragged you down and you've kind of lost yourself in it. And there's a distance between you and the relationship now. And it's like, you know, people are telling you that the shape of your face is changing, that you've grown an inch taller since July, that you can hold your breath for hours. Mm -hmm. But then the more I thought about this song, then I was like, it's about the absence of something that had changed you physically and mentally. Mm. And what else could that be but alcohol or drugs? So it's the line, I don't need sleep anymore. What's that all about? I don't feel like that's a positive thing. But he says, I don't need sleep anymore. But if I close my eyes, I'd sleep the sleep of the gods. So is that about if you're drinking a lot, even if you go on a bit of a bender at the end of it, you need a good sleep? Yeah. Well, sometimes I need a sleep in the middle of a bender. <laughs> but it's like he knows that if he does like he's just gonna have a really good sleep i know that sounds like really it sounds almost quite banal because the sleep of the gods oh my god I, yeah but if you've had like you've been an alcoholic for years yeah we all know how alcohol disturbs your sleep yeah you must have been sleeping like dog shit yeah for however many years yeah, or just um, doing fucking rails of coke or shooting up or whatever. Nice. It's like, I don't need sleep anymore. But if I did close my eyes, I'd have a fucking wonderful time. It's that line, though. I'm, it's not the same without you or I'm not the same without you. I don't know. There's something, there's almost like some regret around that. Could that just be, that's like, the kind of twist at the end oh maybe it's like my life's fucking fantastic but <laughs> man but man i could murder a... love a fucking little snifter <laughs> i'm so bowled over it gives me goosebumps mm. the chorus because it's just so kind of uplifting and i find it very unusual because it is hang on a second is this an uplifting song with uplifting lyrics Oh, fuck. What the hell? Yeah, it is. I don't think that's ever happened before, has it? Unless we could <laughs> interpret the whole thing as being sarcastic. Well, he is a very sarcastic man. We know this to be true. We have evidence. Let's say this is an upbeat song with upbeat lyrics. Okay. It's the last episode of the season. Don, listen, mate. We'll let you have that one. <laughs> if this has got some beautiful like 
chart i call it kind of charted brass where there's obviously some kind of lines written out for the brass on this one i also want to note the harmonica solo yes gosh yes which sounds very Stevie Wonder-like. And then it suddenly made me realise off the back of that, that this does have a really Stevie Wonder feel. Yeah, do you know what? It's funny you should say that. I had the exact same thought. It reminds me of a song off Hotter Than July, which is like the second time there's been a Stevie Wonder reference (laughs) in the Don songwriting so he's, he's clearly a fan well they're clearly like mutual fans yeah it's one of those they had to how could you not love stevie wonder <laughs> i'm sure there's some miserable hearted bastards in the world that don't like stevie wonder we don't want them around here if you don't yeah. like stevie wonder go away fuck off <laughs> shall we jump to memorabilia come on then when I heard this for the first time, before it got to the chorus, I thought, oh, this is a bit of an album track. Oh, you're so wrong. I know, obviously. <laughs> but then it gets that bloody chorus. Have you seen the memorabilia? Rusty old memorabilia. Souvenirs, perfect doom. In the back of Louis the Kind's back room. Have you seen the memorabilia? Dusty old memorabilia. Souvenirs, perfect I get this one in my head the most out of all of them because it's so fucking catchy. We're back on familiar ground, aren't we? Because it's a jolly song about a really dark subject matter, but tackled in a really weird way. So it's about, I think it's about, the thing is with these songs now, I feel like we both have to present our takes before we decide what it's actually about. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's just, it's talking about nuclear weapons but it's done in a really throwaway manner. Like they're not important anymore, these kind of weapons of, of mass destruction. And they're just shoved in the back of Louis Duquesne. Duquesne? Duquesne? Yeah, Louis Duquesne. Louis Duquesne. Not even his, it's in the back of his back room. <laughs> so it's not even important anymore. This kind of really sort of, you know, lackadaisical attitude to atomic bombs. I've got a couple of things. I have got a quote from an interview that Donald talks about this song, which I was going to read out. Go on then. So he actually talked about this. I don't have the reference where. I know I do. It's from uh, It's from an interview called Donald Fagan, Inside the Process, and it's from Keyboard Mag. But anyway, this is what he said. Because both Walter and I grew up in the Cold War era, the threat of nuclear holocaust was an everyday thing. It was always being thrown at kids with duck and cover and civil defence drills. Kids in the 1950s, if they were paying attention, sort of took atomic catastrophe as a given. As a kid, I'd heard a story about this one island in the Pacific. The bomb they were testing turned out to be stronger than they thought and it just disintegrated the whole island. So I invented this girl named Ivy King, who's actually named after one of the tests. Ivy collects memorabilia from nuclear tests. And this guy, Louis Dekine, is a sort of fence for it. Ivy goes to his back room and looks through all his stuff. That's what the song is about. 
I think I got my idea from the late friend of my wife. He was a famous sculptor. He lived near Los Alamos and would actually make sculptures out of atomic era trash he found in the desert, including musical instruments. He once made this huge set of chimes. But as always, I don't think that's what it's about. I want to believe that that's what it's about. I really do. I really, I feel like we, he owes us at this point to actually write a song and tell us what it's about and be unequivocal about it instead of making, making, forcing us, John, to talk for hours and hours about what a song means based on our rough interpretation of it. I really want that to be the meaning. I don't think Donald Fagan owes us shit. And he's given this golden opportunity for us to pick all these part songs apart <laughs> and for us to like dig into the psyche of a man we've never met and i think this song references the whole of the nightfly what it's about the 50s yes the nightfly is about the 50s yes and we're talking about like memorabilia, memories holding on to the past, these like trinkets of the past that nobody really cares about. And it's kind of like all of that stuff is like slipping out of a collective memory or like a present collective memory. You might be onto something there, John, because even like it's tying in with the new frontier, isn't it? There is a feeling of the nightfly does pop up again. I think, well, not the nightfly, but there is a song later on that I feel like could be on the nightfly. So the influence of that album isn't lost on me on this one. But that's very interesting. You should say that. You're making me think. And maybe kind of like the distance between him and those memories as well, that they are like in the back of the back storage now. Yeah, yeah, right in the back of his mind. When he was making The Nightfly and he was kind of in his late 30s, early 40s, it was a very much more present thing for him. And he'd been through this big experience in his life. And so he was kind of looking back before all of that. Because The Nightfly just doesn't reference Steely Dan at all, really, does it? It's almost as if Steely Dan didn't happen mm. on The Nightfly. It's like a false memory exercise mm. in his pre-Steely Dan life. It was his fantasy, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like fantasy life. And it's kind of like, that's the feeling that I get from this song, that all of a sudden those things are kind of irrelevant. And there is this idea of irrelevance on this record. Mm. I'm going to have to mull this one over a bit. <laughs> Come back next week for part two. <laughs> We only get one shot at this, Lizzie. Oh, God's sake. God damn you, Dan. Damn you, Dan. Damn you, Don. Yeah, yeah. Really nice trumpet solo on this song. Yeah, gorgeous. Like great muted. There's muted trumpets throughout this whole album. Mm. Well, the double bass pops up a couple of times, the muted trumpet. So I have a weird thing where I don't normally like muted trumpet. I don't know why. I find it really sleazy. I don't know whether I've mentioned that before, but it's so right on this album. And the same with the double bass. I always find the double bass being plucked 
to be quite sleazy that's very evocative to me I don't know why maybe I had a bad experience in a jazz club in a former life or something but it works so well on this album yeah that muted trumpet Mm. and it's mad though isn't it because it's quite old-fashioned but it's in this really contemporary sounding album it is old-fashioned and he could have made it sound old-fashioned but i can't let go of like the hip-hop feel it's writ large on this album isn't it and especially just because i've made that connection in my head with this record and like low-end theory by tribe called quest which Mm. is like an ultra jazzy records to the point that it's got Ron Carter playing stand-up bass on that record it all kind of like fits together and it all like makes sense to Mm, me mm. it's a good album it's a fucking good album it's a good album should we move on yes let's move on so weather in my head aka Donald does Black Velvet (laughs) I can't get Black Velvet out of my head whenever I listen to this song I do like the song. I find the imagery a little bit on the nose. Well. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's one of my top notes on one of the other songs. Just the word well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a blues song. Yeah. And there's like the a, whole it's like a 12 like, bar blues. Yeah. It's a 12 bar blues song. And there's loads of references to New Orleans as well which tie in well with that, but in the context of like climate change and apocalypse theme, because the apocalypse theme is another one that kind of intertwines with this young girl thing, because of the, you know, doom, <laughs> impending doom or the risk of complete obliteration is sort of woven through along with the girl theme as well. We've been dealing with that in his writing since King of the World. Yeah, yeah. On Can't Buy a Frill. He can't wait, can he? He's going to be riding that atomic bomb. <laughs> with yeah. his cowboy hat yeah. on <laughs> he's been fucking jonesing for the apocalypse for nigh on 50 years oh he literally wrote a song about fantasizing with a girl to pretend that there'd been a nuclear apocalypse so they could shag in his dad's nuclear bunker is he an apocalypse fetishist <laughs> <gasps> oh my god is he a doomsday prepper oh my god Don's Bunker. Don's Bunker. <laughs> Welcome to Don's Bunker. Listen, we don't kink shame here at True Crit. I don't think there's any kink going on in Don's Bunker. It's just like a bunch of well-preserved lewds <laughs> and some of the best cocaine ever made in the world and lots of um, Cuervo gold. Yeah, I feel like Don doesn't do that anymore. No, I don't think he does. He probably just has an early night. Cup of Bovril. Mellow birds. Mellow birds. <laughs> For our American cousins that are listening, we should probably explain what Mellow Birds is. Imagine the worst coffee you've ever had. Add about two tablespoons of milk powder to it, and that's Mellow Birds. And take the caffeine out. Oh, yeah, no caffeine. No caffeine in Mellow Birds. It's just the kind of vaguely coffee flavoured, milky sadness. <laughs> being british is a ride what this made me think of is kings where king says in the sleeve notes no political significance this is like 
the opposite. This is like Don's Heal the World. Yeah, you are right. It does jar a little bit with me because of the Al Gore reference. <laughs> Obviously, he's watched, but I can't. South I can't. Park. Yeah, I'm super serial. <laughs> Man, bear, pig. <laughs> That's all I think about, which yeah. is really bad because, you know, it's obviously incredibly serious. Well, Al Gore did a good job, but then everyone took the piss out of him. So, oh, yeah. Sorry, Al. If you're listening, Al Gore. Call me Al. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> you could say that this woman's messed Don's head up and he's experiencing these potent weather emotions but could we be talking about some kind of like feminine masculine hybrid of the earth you're making me think now that actually this isn't about him suffering a heartbreak he is actually really sad about new orleans and katrina new orleans is is writ large in his writing mm. is the effects of what's happening on the planet that's the weather in his head who are the four old hippies driving in the rain? Four elements. Oh, oh, somebody switched on this evening. <laughs> I practically gave myself a nosebleed trying to figure that out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I couldn't crack that one at all. Hmm. This is a bit of a head scratcher, this one. It's just that duality. It's the duality, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Duality of Don that you can just hear the song read the lyrics and be like yeah it's about that if you just scratch a little bit under the surface there's throwaway lines where you're just like that doesn't mean anything why mm. did he bother putting that in Poor old hippies, driving in the rain Get used to the pain, earth, wind, fire. It's climate change. Yeah. Old elements, the old, you know, spiritual, the things that man can't control. And he's just like, dudes, can you help me out? And they're just like, get used to the pain. Yeah. This planet's been around for billions of years. Well, 2012 was the apocalypse year, wasn't it? Allegedly. We're still here, vaguely. <laughs> ah, we are. We're as here as we've always been. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. The New Breed. I love this song. Mm. I love it. Another one about a younger girl, a younger woman, I should say. It's very self-aware and I feel like it's a sequel or a parallel song to Slinky Thing. Yeah, 100%. It's got that prominent double bass in it for a start, but it's almost like he's moving on because she's met somebody else who's like more her age. He's resigned to it. He's happy about it. He's comfortable with it. It's about acceptance of technology, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Which is weird, though, because he has always embraced technology. Yeah, he has. Because let's not forget, they were fucking around with drum machines in the yeah, late 70s. exactly. The Lyricon, you know, one of the first, like, digitally recorded and mixed records. But he's very self-aware. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. He's very self-aware. He knows, because, what, he was in his 60s when he made this album. Yeah, it wouldn't have been lost on him that he was an older guy making music and making like relatively contemporary music as well. This album is much mm. more kind of, I know it was obviously made in 2012 because it was more up to date than the others, but you know, he could have just gone back to that almost sterile sound that they kicked out with Two Against Nature that I didn't, you know, I struggled with to start with, but he hasn't. He's come back with something that's quite fresh for him. Yeah. 
But it's that line, funny little load clicks on. I love that lyric so much and I love the way it's sung as well. And this is what I wanted to say just as a side note. It properly segues into Something About You by Level 42, that line. does amazing what an amazing so, connection yeah so if uh, so mashup artists you can have that one for free <laughs> that kind of insidious little creeping realization almost the parallel yeah. of of this woman who's interested in another guy it's acceptance it's but an inevitability as well and he's fine about it he's like good luck to you both i'll get along somehow like i'll be fine i'll be totally fine this modern music that I have maybe toyed with in the past and actually I'm not sure if it's right for me. It's cool. I can walk away. It's almost like a continuation of, of that humbleness of the song, Everything Must Go. Yeah. Where he is just, you know, he's not he's not raging against anything. Like he says it. I get it. Which I, <laughs> which I fucking love. I fucking love that line. He's sweet, but it's time to find a keener spark. Mm. I guess I'll make my exit now before you twist the knife. Oh, shit. This could just be him saying he's not making any more records. That was another thing, John, that I thought at the beginning, uh, one of my notes at the beginning, I forgot to mention it. Is this album his last album? Well, we're not going to find out. We could be another 20 years of finding out if this is his last album. If anyone's got the telephone number for Don, <laughs> Donald Fagan, could they... Um, text us, please, because I really <laughs> want to have a. I really want to chat with him. This is like another scenario where he just ends up telling us to fuck off. <laughs> Every conclusion of the scenario where we get to meet Donald Donald Fagan is him telling us to fuck off or shut yeah. up or that we're wrong. Just slamming a door in our faces. Honestly, I would be honoured. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get off on it. I know, right? Me too. We're like, yes, Don. We are. Donald Fagan fetishist. <laughs> no kink shaming on True Grit. I love it when it says, it's best if I just leave you here to your new dot com slash life. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a bit that's a bit snidey though, isn't it? Super snidey. Dot com slash life. I wish you kind of updated it to being like hashtag life. Well, yeah. Was that uh, pre-hashtags though? Oh no, it wouldn't have been, would it? 2012? In kind of regular parlance, I think. Might have still been. Yeah, there is this this boomer element to it. I'm surprised he didn't put www. <laughs> it's three W's. I can't stress that enough. Three. Be like Creed's blog in the office. <laughs> it's like half the song is just like a a fucking web address. Yeah. <laughs> and the web address is to like a flash site that doesn't even work anymore. Yeah, or it's one with dancing Jesus. And flying toasters. It's like the Space Jam. <gasps> yeah. <gasps> My God. Sorry, <laughs> Don. Let's move on to 
Well, I was going to go in absolutely fucking guns blazing into this song. I'm going to get that off my chest. Do it. This is a fucking horrible song. It was like a horrible song when Isaac Hayes wrote it. It was horrible enough then because it's hugely misogynistic. Hugely. And I really felt like Don just had no right in in covering this song. Yeah, I find it a little bit uncomfortable for the the misogynistic reasons because it's just, it's really gross. It's like, I made you, I took you out of your poverty, I took Mm. you out of your bad situation and you can't act like the stylish woman that I want you to act like, no matter what I do. There's kind of low-key physical abuse as well. Yeah. Couldn't get the ghetto out of you. There's something about that I just didn't like. Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah. Also, I some of the lyrics, an old white guy saying things like shaking your booty ghetto style. Uh, no. When we go to the disco, the when you shake your booty, ghetto style. It's not very comfortable for me listen to this is the one i wrote well at the top of my notes the only note i have for this song is no 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 i have a few more notes okay go at the top of this your roasting hot take (laughs) made a very light bright white light bulb go off above my head okay what about which one the boy band one or the the music thing the music thing. Right, okay. What I find really interesting about this particular cover and the production of it is, aside from the fact that Dawn is doing a very passable impression of Rob Parisi from Wild Cherry, <laughs> that literally it's yeah. like he's doing an impression of him. It's quite funny to hear. This is a bad song. It probably shouldn't have been covered by him. However, when have you ever heard funk and klezmer music thrown together at the same time that clarinet the whole thing and it aggrieves me because it's just so brilliant which is a solid nod i think possibly for the first time to donald being jewish apart from Chain Lightning, which <laughs> is, like, really awful. Jewish ghetto. Oh, oh, fucking hell. Oh, fucking hell. It still makes it really fucking horrible. It does still make it really horrible. You could almost be, like, because it's a ghetto and he is Jewish, could it be that's his, that could his justification not that there is a justification for covering this song because mm. i just think it shouldn't have happened that was kind of like me just like bing well you might be onto something i'm glad i wrote well at the top of my notes <laughs> <laughs> for this one well there well yeah um, but could it also be because of the music thing it's like he's almost tried to tame this like wild music but the music itself always brings him back to its roots, to where it comes from. It comes from the streets. 
that's an interesting take. Or he just wanted to do an Isaac Hayes cover. Yeah, so he was making this record. He's like, out of all the amazing <laughs> Isaac Hayes songs, I'm going to cover the most like misogynistic, like violent song in his back catalogue. Yeah. Which is weird. You consider how women are treated elsewhere in this album. It's a huge misstep. Mm. Regardless if we can be like, oh, is it, could we interpret it this way? Could we interpret it that way? Oh, yeah, it's grim. The actual intention, lyrically, it's beyond any of the other songs that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I just straight up, like, fucking hate the lyrics in this song. The violin solo in this song though is just chef's kiss yeah it is so that's why this is really annoying because it's such a good cover mm. and the production of it and the conceptualization of it and you know having Klezmer yeah. music and a funk song is inspired mm. oh, i love it it's really fucking annoying let's move on miss marlene this could be on the night fly this song Mm. really easily it's like 1950s boom bowling alley or is it oh now <laughs> i've taken this song kind of very much on face value i'm excited come on come on give me a take is this song a bowling metaphor about coming of age if so ew <laughs> Are they your notes? Yeah. Ew. Elaborate, please, John. Let's go through this. So she's a miss. We know she's 17. She could roll like a pro rolls. So it's like she's young, but she gives off the idea of her being like a fully, you know, mature adult woman. Not to say that somebody who's 17 isn't, but in the context of a man talking. But then the lyrics, they're quite infantilizing as well. He calls a child later on, long skinny legs, child with your hoop earrings. But this that weird kind of combination of young, but... And like whether straight or hammered, she was the best in town. And she released the red ball. I, th I feel like red, like that could be any color. But talking about a woman coming of age and using the color red. Oh, no. Now I'm like, can't you hear the balls rumble? She's naive to her, to the sexual objectification that men are putting on her. I do find the combination of her character, how she's, you know, an amazing bowler. She's knocking back hurricanes, but he's calling her child and this, yeah, this infantilizing language. He's kind of like <sighs> creeping around her and noticing the effect that she has on men. But yeah, he's not making a move on her. It's almost like she's on like a pedestal. 
Yeah, so I think he really fond of her, whoever she is. Does is he a little bit infatuated with her? He is a bit creepy. Rumbling balls is quite creepy. That line just Sorry. stood out for me. The balls rumble. Mm. That's like the men. It's disgusting. Fuck. I really took this on face value. <laughs> this is just a jolly song about bowling. Yeah, anyway, this is a tragic story, obviously, because Miss Marlene gets steaming, I think, and then gets hit by a car, doesn't she? Is she like, she's like running away from someone? Like something's yeah. happened because yeah. like... Ran into the dark street at University Place The cat came up so fast that we saw your laughing face well, she dies. It's like all these men are chasing after her and one got through, treated her like shit. But she's laughing. So either she's doing it deliberately or she's been completely taken by surprise. Like she's get, trying to get away from something. Mm. She's trying to get away from like every man in the town. Yeah, with their rumbling balls. With their rumbling balls. Gross. Really gross. Joe, I've got no notes about the music on this song at all. <laughs> I said that it was a tight, tight arrangement, and it is. It's very kind of like clockwork, mm. not not in a predictable way, but no. it just, it's just got that kind of Swiss watch feel to it. Everything's yeah. just... This is another like lyrically dense album. Yeah. Some of it might be bit more on the nose than... I think it's testament to the quality of his writing at this yeah. point in his age is that... Yeah. He can write these songs that do seem to be very straightforward. Mm, yeah. Almost to the point where there can be like no shred of doubt. We've proved by taking these songs apart that that possibly isn't the case. Mm. Oh, did you mention before we recorded this that you had a theory behind why it was called Sunken Condos? Oh, yeah, I did. Can you remember what it was and did it still ha hold up? We're going to have to go back to that. Okay. Should we move on to Good Stuff? Yeah. I fucking love this song. This is another vignette. This is, it's the best crime song in the Dan catalogue. Yeah, agreed. All the references in this are just exquisite. It's so detailed. I have nothing but great respect for this song. It's a proper little story, isn't it? I fucking love Sopranos. I love the Godfather films. I love Goodfellas. I love like Mean Streets. I love Casino. Like I just love that world. I love that. I love the the grayness of the morality, and you know everything's like based on the street. And there's always like a multitude of characters, and they're all, you know, overlapping into everyone's life. And and that's like how it works. Like it can't work without having a lot of people. Mm. And all of the things that I love about those films and shows is in this song. Yeah. It's got like a, a microcosm to it. It's got a macrocosm to it. And you're kind of going in and out of this story. And I just I just love it. Yeah. So it's a, a criminal gang, prohibition yeah. era, pulling off a job. Mm. And it all goes really well. Goes really well. It goes really well. Better break out the good stuff. Boss wants to party, party all, night. all night. There's a special satisfaction when a job comes off so right. 
That'll be us when lockdown's over. That will be us. <laughs> but you're right. It's it's a perfect little story. Mm, it's beautiful. And it's set in San Francisco. Uh, your spiritual home. Our spiritual home. Are you reading the lyrics? <laughs> yeah. I just marvel in them. Yeah. Just how it's... it like ends, like the final verse, it's just like just about gone. When I finally get home, I find my twist with that punk Johnny wrong. So I pop the boat and I ankle downtown to a hop house in the Timberlawn. Need to kick that down literally just goes to tenderloin to smoke some opium and what an amazing what just like i just fucking love it i need to kick that gong around what you want to do heroin no i mean just like in that spirit of just like you know (laughs) i've just been in prison i've been on like like house arrest for like six months and i just want to go to a hop house in the tenderloin well you know We'll all have our chances, love. <laughs> I probably won't do heroin. <laughs> nah. Nah. That's not my list of things to do. Hug my dad, maybe. That's your heroin. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Love you, dad. <laughs> Just, again, this poppy kind of, it's that line when a job comes off so right. I love the mm. way that line's delivered. It's just like really good R&B again, isn't it? There is like no ulterior meaning to this. Yeah, I agree. Which is weird, isn't it? Because it kind of stands out. It's just, it's almost like it's going, fuck it. I'm going to throw in a prohibition story for no particular reason. This, that's why I've kind of struggled to crack this album. I actually don't think there's anything to crack. I think there are some repeated themes, but I don't think it's got any kind of like narrative thread. I don't no. think it's got like a big concept. I think it's yeah. just, you know. I imagine that he's he has connected some themes, and he, you know, he has. I think we've we've picked them out, but um, he's like just tapped into just writing a good bunch of songs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We've marvelled over like time and time again on, especially the run from Countdown to XC to Gaucho, Mm. where they are just good collections of songs that fit together really well. Yeah, and. With the exception of Out of the Ghetto, for me, and I'm sure for you as well. Yeah. Like, that's what this does. Yeah. Anyway. Planet de Ronda. I have a problem with this song. Come on. It fetishizes a woman of colour. Um, okay. And it is about his friends being racist because he is in a relationship with a woman of colour. I didn't get that. I think Planet Deronda might be jazz. Oh. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I think she might be jazz. This is a bit of a reach, this take, okay? But it's she's from a small town somewhere upstate. I guess she's somewhere between 19 and 38. And I was thinking, 19 and 38? Because mm. it's very specific. And I thought... 1938. That, yeah, but I was thinking that. I was thinking is because like it was about 1919 to 1930-ish. That was like the jazz age. Yeah. But then this song, I think, is set in the 50s. And again, this ties in with 
this like younger girl is the younger girl jazz is the younger girl music that he's not he doesn't feel kind of I don't know like you should be listening to I'm not sure I don't know if it's fetishizing a woman of color a black woman I think you're right but yeah because his friends are just like always frantic never calm yeah you're not the type of girl you want to bring home to mom yeah always frantic Sometimes she's vicious, sometimes rude. Mm. You've got to be a mind reader just to get her mood. It's the line, yes, it's monkey time 24-7. I mean, that's like, that could mean two things. Heroin. Heroin or masturbation. Wow. So, yeah, that was my take. Heroin and masturbation. Nice. Well, yeah, heroin. It's heroin, isn't it? Like, yeah. he's re- every time he's referred to, like, monkey in his songwriting, it's always been about heroin. Yeah. Monkey on your back. Yeah. Apart from your gold teeth, when he talks about monkey woman, which is the um, this woman who's going to, take you everything you've got yeah but she's potentially still you know chasing that dragon yeah you know there's bits and i think is this a futuristic song and i'm like no it's not it's not a futuristic song because he's talking about when she does the philly dog i gotta have cpr she put on a dress last night made of plastic wrap when we go out dancing baby she's always a star when she does the philly dog it sort of conjures up a little bit of a Jetsons Mm. image in my head so I don't think it's futuristic I think it's certain and is that she's my vitamin xyz that one which again I think harks back to the nightfly yeah wjaz which is very 1950s isn't it yeah anyway that's what I think I think yeah I think it might be jazz I think possibly the younger woman he's talking about is jazz or music, I don't know, it's a bit of a clunky. Maybe I, I may, I do think maybe I'm trying to ram a square peg into a round hole at this point in terms of a, a broad concept for the album. But I think in broad sense, when he's talking about women in this album, possibly not Miss Marlene, but certainly in the others, the woman is music. Which isn't the first time. Asia. Asia, Josie. Yeah. So he's got form in this department. Yeah. I think you're really onto something. Oh, funny though. Funny though he should end this album on a song about jazz when Josie was about rock and roll. Mm. Huh. This, this is why I wanted to talk to you about it because I just wanted to kind of <laughs> mull all of this over with you. Yeah. The line, Planet Deronda, do you find that really jarring? It does seem like a bit like shoehorned. I don't understand why he chose Planet Deronda. Planet Deronda. I don't know either, but fuck me, is it catchy? Oh, yeah. Which makes me think 
It's not shoehorned. She's done it deliberately. Donald Fagan do something deliberately. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Could you imagine? This podcast wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the end of the album. Oh, I can't believe it. We've done it. We're at the end of season one that all just started off from me having a daydream about me and you making a Steely Dan podcast. Oh, we fucking did it, John. And for season two, we're going to do it again. <laughs> did you rehearse that? No, that just was off the top of my head. That was great. I don't want to get too like sentimental, but this experience has been amazing. And I do want you to keep this in the episode, John. I'm really, really proud of what we've done. And I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity that you've given me. And then all of the other crazy, amazing stuff that's happened, happening with this True Crit partnership that we've forged and... Um, I just want to say thank you and thank you to everybody who's listened as well because it just continues to blow my mind that people actually listen to this podcast <laughs> so yes yeah. I, I'll stop being gushy now but thank you and thank you John for the opportunity because it's just been a fucking blast and I've loved every second you don't have to thank me I'm just I'm just an ideas man <laughs> I have ADHD I have a lot of thoughts and it just happen to be that you're a very receptive person that was fully capable and willing to do this it's that yoko ono art it's that yeah. piece with the ladder with yes at the top of it mm. i'll just say yes go on then we've got the next two seasons of this podcast mapped out mm -hmm. and we'll keep We'll keep that as a surprise. Yes, we will, just in case we change our mind. <laughs> just thank you for saying yes. It's been fucking great. And now amazing. I literally know everything about Steely Dan. Yeah. That's and it. We completed it. I know. We've completed Steely Dan. We've defeated the final boss. Sunken <laughs> <laughs> condos. Well, I guess we just have to say goodbye for the final time. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Season, yep. season two is imminent. Season two will follow two weeks after this episode airs. Yeah, we literally have we have episode one in the can already. Yep. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. True Crit season much. one done. See you soon. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.